Well, welcome, welcome to church. Welcome to week three of our teaching series on prayer and fasting. This morning's teaching is called Part Three. Nah, just jokes, just jokes. I've actually got a title for you this week. We're going to call it Hunger for God. Hunger for God. But before we get into the teaching series, let me just give a couple of wee notes, kind of logistical notes. Is that all right? Um, Before we get into this morning's teaching. Uh, Because I've been having some conversations and been really, really pleased with the level of engagement um, with, with, it sounds like a number of people are responding and saying, yeah, hey, this fasting thing seems new to me. I've not not got a lot of experience. I've not tried it before, but I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. and, uh, and, And I'm thrilled to hear those kind of reports and reflections coming back and excited um, for how God might form us in these next few weeks together, uh, both individually and as a church uh, family. Someone was asking me after service last week, why why 21 days and why prayer and fasting and, 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 and all of that? And, and I, I thought, actually, it's a really good question. I probably should have spent some time talking about that and why for us as a church. You know, I kind of laid out the need in the first week that I think in our cultural moment, this moment of depletion that we're seeing all over the place, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I think that that's part of the need and God's people have historically always responded to moments like that by humbling themselves with prayer and fasting and seeking God's face and seeking His presence and His voice. And so, in, in the one, in the, you know, the short answer would be, well, this is just kind of what God's people do, right? We just kind of, this is how we respond to moments like this. Uh, but the other reason is actually linked to who we are at the well as God's people together on a journey. One of the things we believe partic- that, that God has called us to be about as a community is to be a place of healing, that we'd be a community of healing, a place where people can come and belong and experience healing in the midst of God's people, experience healing, you know, in the fullest sense of that word, not just around, you know, physical healings or miraculous healings, but spiritual healing and emotional healing and inner healing and all forms of, we become more fully the people that God has created and called us to be, that we be that kind of a community where healing takes place. Is that, is that are, you, are you with me? And so we said a couple of years ago, as we were responding to this kind of call on our church, well, healing really begins and ends in prayer. That means if we're going to be a place and a community of healing, then we need to, we need to be a place and a people of prayer. And so we started intentionally leaning into prayer, that we would become more prayerful as a church, um, as individuals and as a church family together. So that, that, that you know, you might remember we kick off the year each year. We've, we've done it two years in a row. This is becoming a new annual rhythm for us, where we begin the year by stopping and we set aside seven days. 24 hours a day for seven days to pray. That's what we do together. And, and it's been in this little side room over here. We call it our prayer room. Um, but literally 24-7, we start the year in prayer together. Prayer week is how we start the year. Each month, we begin the month by stopping to pray because we want to be people where our instincts are reoriented and retrained so that prayer becomes a first response, not a last resort. This is just who we are and what we do. In order to be a people in a place of healing, we need to be prayerful, right? So we, we start the, you know, the, the first of every month. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is, we start the month in prayer. And so coming up on the 1st of September, which is during the fast, by the way, handy, um, we're going to change things up and do it a little bit differently. If you've, if you've seen the slides, you might have thought there's a wee bit of a typo. Um, but no, usually we meet at 7 p.m. We're going to do 7 a.m. 
for this one. For all those people who would prefer to maybe pop in and pray on their way to work, come and join us for an hour of prayer, 7 a.m. on your way to work, you get to work on time, it'll be great. 7 a.m. on the 1st of September, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but the 1st of September, that's when we pray, right? So we're going to stop and we'll pray, 1st of September, love to have you there. The other thing that I was thinking is, these are good rhythms, but I kind of had this sense as we were starting to build it out, if we're really going to be people of prayer, then, you know, a prayer week at the start of the year, by the time you get to kind of June and July and August, like that feels like a distant memory, doesn't it? That feels like a long time ago. And so I was thinking we probably need something else to anchor us as prayerful people in the middle of the year, in terms of a call to something together. And so that's actually kind of the, the, the thinking behind why a, a collective period of 21 days prayer and fasting. And we'll see, we'll see what God, you know, says and does through this. We, we're going to give it a go this year. It may become part of our annual rhythm going forward, where we start the year prayer week, 24-7 prayer. You know, it's a different f- format and style and, you know, feel of prayer. And then in the middle of the year, we do a season of 21 days in prayer and fasting. And this just becomes part of who we are as prayerful people. And we pray for an hour at the start of each month. You know, you get what I'm saying? Like, we just want to be, because we think, yes, we can pray at home. Yes, we can pray in life groups. Yes, we can do all those things. And that's all great. And, and I hope and trust that that's all happening. But actually, when we come together intentionally for no other purpose than to pray and seek God's face, to be caught up in His presence, that that actually is really powerful. And that's, that's what we want to be about. Does that make sense? So it's actually linked to, I think, um, a lot of who we feel called to be as a church, um, that we would, we would enter into a season like this. The other thing I wanted to just kind of reaffirm and reiterate, and I'm really thankful to some of our medical professionals uh, in, the, in the life of the church who have uh, spoken into, into this. They said, Clint, it'd be really helpful if you just reiterate and reaffirm to uh, anyone who's considering a fast or going to begin the fast after dinner this evening. That's when it begins, right? After dinner this evening, the fast begins. Um, and uh, that you really consider your personal health um, circumstances and talk with your doctors. And so some general pointers that, this is not an exhaustive list, but some general pointers uh, to keep in mind would be if you're pregnant, which we know there's a few around, eh? It's not advisable for you to fast um, if you're pregnant. If you're anticipating uh, surgery, if you have a surgery coming up, it's, again, it's not advisable for you to fast, uh, particularly if you, if you have diabetes, um, again, it's not advisable for you to fast. For everyone else, if you are going to, um, or, and, and if you, um, your medications, if you, if you regularly take medications, please, uh, you know, take those with food as, as, as instructive. We really don't want anyone to become unwell as you're fasting. If you do start to become unwell, stop the fast, uh, you know, like we actually don't want anything like that. Um, and the other thing is for everyone who is uh, fasting, make sure you're drinking plenty of water plenty of water, keep the hydration up, and if you're feeling cold, uh, we had a wee chat around the staff team uh, during the week, if you're feeling cold, go to hot water, I don't, you know, I know that's kind of a Kiwi thing to drink hot water, I've never drunk hot water, except for when I'm fasting, um, it's actually a really helpful, helpful tip, um, so, is that alright? Let's dive into today's teaching, a hunger for God, I don't know about you, but uh, what happens when we get hungry? We get, what's the word? Hangry, right? How would you describe your hangry symptoms? How would those you live with describe your hangry symptoms? Would those align your perception of yourself? You, you know, hangry, is this a new word for some people? It's a thing, it's a real thing, right? When people get 
hungry, they often become grumpy, right? And they become hangry. So it's probably worth acknowledging at the start of a fast, where we go on this journey together, that this is likely to be true of your experience over the next 21 days, those of you who are going to fast. Just own it. Just own it. Pre-warn, maybe those that you live with um, and love and, uh, and ask for grace when you start to become maybe impatient and a little uh, grumpy and then take that before the Lord and ask God, give me strength, give me patience, give me joy. Uh, Lord, would you sustain and strengthen me in the midst of all of that? But really, the, ho- the, ho- the whole heart behind this is that we would become increasingly like Jesus. You know, um, over the years, we've, we've come back around this a few different times. There's a, there's a definition around um, spiritual formation that I particularly love from Robert Mulholland. And so we'll put this on the screen. This is Robert uh, Mulholland's definition of spiritual formation, where he talks about it's a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. It's a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. The reason I love this is it's really just clear. Uh, Let me unpack it for you. Spiritual formation is a process. Spiritual formation isn't one of those kind of blessings that happens in a moment, in an instant. Those are awesome, but those are like the punctuation marks. Those are like the exclamation points within a process. You know what I mean? So, So, spiritual formation is a process that's ongoing and continues to go on. A process of what? of our formation, of us being formed, being, maybe we often talk about, you know, being discipled. I'm, I'm less and less comfortable with that word as a verb, but, um, you know, that actually we're, we're becoming conformed, so it's a process of being formed in the image and likeness of Christ, not into our own image and likeness, not into our own best agenda, not into someone else's thoughts and plans for our lives, not into the world's prescription for what success and good life means, you know, but no, we're conformed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Really important that, I love that he has that on the end there, that actually we become increasingly like Jesus, not just so we can give ourselves a nice pat on the back and say, yeah, well done, look how good we are, look how holy we are, holy club moment, we huddle together and all feel good about ourselves. No, it's for the sake of others. It's so that others might know who Jesus is, that we actually display, or the way we like to talk about it around here is that we might experience and then express the love of God to others. So that's, that, 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 this definition has been shaping a lot of what I think about when it talks about, you know, these practices that we would lean into of prayer and of fasting and Sabbath and, you know, the pray, bless, notice, rest. You know, when we talk about these rhythms, these, these practices that we lean into are all helping us be conformed increasingly to the image and likeness of Jesus That's our hope, that's our heart, that's our intent behind all of this. Because who knows that without practices that continue to reorient and bring us back to who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling us to become and desires for us to be, that actually we'll just drift. Anyone ever notice that we don't drift our way into spiritual maturity? The current doesn't just kind of take us that way if we, you know, in fact... It goes the opposite way, and we have to be hugely intentional, right, in our following of Jesus. We have to be really focused on that uh, in order to really be conformed in His image and likeness that we might actually be a true blessing to others. And so, 
uh, I was, I was uh, kind of captured by this, this phrase, John Tyson, uh, he's, a, he's a author and uh, pastor of a church in New York City, get, you know, threw, threw out this phrase, he actually did a whole teaching on fasting uh, a number of years ago, but the title for his sermon was, Hunger Must Be Stronger Than Apathy. Hunger must be stronger than apathy. And I just thought, man, that sounds like formational kind of language. What's he talking about when he talks about hunger must be stronger than apathy? I don't think he's talking about those hangry vibes that are going to keep you sitting on your hands and instead send you running to the kitchen to get some food to eat, right? I think he's talking about a spiritual hunger that must be stronger than a spiritual apathy. Because he knows that actually we're not going to be formed into the image and likeness of Jesus if we allow a spiritual apathy to kind of just be the way it goes. And we go, yeah, oh, I'm just going to take the path of least resistance. Oh, I'm just going to take it easy and back it. No, no, we need to be hungry for the presence of God, for the power of God, for the voice of God in our lives, moving us, shaping us, leading us, His grace that enables, you know, this is what we need to hunger for more than anything else. And fasting, friends, fasting does this for me better than any other discipline. You've heard me say this over the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, like like I said, I've had... um, reasonable experience with fasting. I'm no expert in fasting. It's still one of the things that I like really don't love. (laughs) Honestly, it is hard. Let's just be honest, okay? Fasting is a difficult practice to lean into. I don't love it. I love food. Um, And so, uh, but, but it's one of those that honestly shapes and forms me so much. Once I get through the first few days of extended fast, when I've done those in the past, I can tell you that actually the experience shifts quite significantly. And I go, it's, it's phrases like this that I cling to. And I go, no, Lord, make me hungry for you more than my body is hungry for food right now. That's the, that's the feeding the Spirit that we talked about last week, you know what I mean? Lord, make me, make me more hungry for your presence in my life, for your power at work in my life, for your grace that's just working in and through me, for your, your voice. Make me more hungry for that than even the food that I'm really looking for right now. And I can remember a couple of different times in um, seasons of fasting when when it seemed like, you know, you go on a camp or a retreat and, you know, you've got these regular times of worship and teaching and great conversations with people that are encouraging and ministry and prayer moments. And it's like the spiritual high, you know what I'm talking about? It's like these beautiful moments of this spiritual high. I've experienced that same kind of feeling in the midst of a normal week when I've been fasting. I'm going to meetings and I'm, you know, catching up with people and I'm on my phone and I'm, I'm working on, you know, different things, like in the midst of a normal rhythm, no, nothing, nothing special, you know, no out of the ordinary, just normal stuff, but I'm, I'm like living on this like spiritual high almost, where I'm much more attuned to the presence of God and the, the voice of God. I remember a conversation when I was youth pastor many years ago uh, in a church over in the States and I was talking with this one young guy, he's like, hey, can we catch up for a coffee? And so we go out to coffee and he grabs, you know, at Starbucks, his big, you know, fancy coffee. I'm sitting there with my hot water and, um, and you know, we're talking and he's like, hey, you know, I feel he's exploring a sense of uh, calling to ministry. And as a youth pastor, man, these are the kinds of conversations you live for, right? I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is going to be great. And then we start unpacking that a wee bit and talking along. And in the midst of the conversation, I just had this wee check in my spirit, like, 
I don't think, I think there's something else going on here. And I was like, oh, that's odd. So we, you know, as we keep talking, I'm like, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? What are you saying? You know, and, and I just had this, and this doesn't, this kind of thing happens to me from time to time. This isn't an everyday kind of occurrence for me, right? I just had the Spirit kind of nudge me and say, ask about his parents. What's going on in the relationship with his parents? I was like, oh, okay, well. So awkwardly, shift gears in the conversation, you know what I mean? I'm like, hey, hey, before we go further on there, like, can you just tell me, I just feel like I need to ask, what's up with your parents? How's how's things going at home? Like, what's your relationship? You know what I mean? And boy, did that crack things open. All of a sudden, it shifted from him talking interest and, you know, ministry and all that kind of stuff to actually, we dropped into the depths of his soul. He was confessing sin. He was confessing, you know, like, he was, he was just really opening up. And these were the actual things that were going on. You know what I mean? Like, the, the presenting issue, the thing that he was excited to talk about wasn't actually what he needed to talk about. And God did some amazing work of healing in that. And it wasn't overnight, you know, but actually to see that relationship with his parents change and transform over the coming months and years and just remarkable difference, you know. And, and but by the grace of God, you know what I mean? And this is just like, that was normal, everyday kind of conversation where all of a sudden God interrupted and God shifted gears and totally transformed and changed things. And this is the kind of thing that I think God wants to do and, and in and among us, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping and praying for us as we go on this journey of fasting together that you might experience that palpable presence, you know, that almost tangible sense of God's power and voice speaking into and with you each, each, each moment. Is that all right? So, if you've got your Bibles, let's crack open to a pretty important passage for us around here, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And, uh, and you're probably thinking, I don't remember any talk of fasting in that text, Clint. Um, well, you might be right. So, but let's go there anyway. John chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse, uh, verse 1. John chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but His disciples. So He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now He had to go through Samaria. So He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the, the, the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Let's pause for a minute. Because I'm indebted a wee bit to my good friend Amy uh, for a couple of fresh insights into this passage that I hadn't really noticed. And I've spent a bit of time in this text, I've taught from it a few times, and, you know, actually a few details that I hadn't really noticed that I think are helpful for us this week as we think about prayer and fasting. It says, do you notice in, in, in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Well, he's on this journey from Jerusalem, making his way back up to Galilee which is like a multi-day walk on foot 
walking that way. Usually, and there's a, there's a map here to show, you know, kind of like what part of the world this is in and just how far it is. You know, I know you can all read that, so let me just zoom it in for you so it's a little more clear. You know, here's Jerusalem down the bottom there, you see, and oftentimes, uh, and you can see up near the top, you see Sychar right below, uh, in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, Sychar there, that's where the well is, right, where Jesus, and usually Jews who were traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee would circle around. They wouldn't take the most direct route straight up through Samaria. They would go around to avoid any contact with Samaritans. They despised people that much from Samaria. So, so anyways, you look at that and you, that's actually like a good wee walk that Jesus has done, you know? So it's, it's not surprising. I love the hum, humanness of this text where it says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sits down at the well. He sits down at the well, and I just think, friends, here's, here's, here's something for us to remember back two weeks ago to this moment of depletion that we find ourselves in. Everyone in our world right now, I just hear over and over and over again, I'm just so tired and I'm exhausted, and there's good reason for it. Just like for Jesus, there's good reason for him feeling tired. He's been on a long walk for a long period of time, right? He's tired, and there's good reason for many of us to feel depleted, emotionally, physically, spiritually, COVID has done its number. But those things were already in play before the pandemic. So we're like, uh, like gassed, you know, com- completely gassed for a lot of people, right? We, so I think we can relate with and see this, this moment here, uh, you know, with, with Jesus tired as he was, that we too kind of find ourselves in this moment of depletion. And the disciples have a great reaction, right? They have a great response. Don't you love that little verse in parentheses in verse 8, where it tells us the disciples were like, oh man, tired, let's get some food, right? They're thinking about lunch. They're like, you know, Jesus is sitting down for a break. They're like, let's go, let's go suss lunch, let's sort some food, let's have a feed. Um, and so they run into town, they're thinking about lunch. Jesus is sitting down at the well in the middle of the day, primed for a divine appointment, primed for a significant and spiritual conversation, right? And then this beautiful story unpacks and plays out. You, you know, you, you can read it for yourselves, you know, down through uh, the next, over the next several verses where Jesus and this Samaritan woman have this exchange. He asks her for a drink and, 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 and she's like, well, I can't do that. And, you know, you're a, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're a man and I'm a woman and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a, it's a conversation they have back and forth that's like beautifully embodies both grace and truth. Jesus, who's filled with both grace and truth, she's awakened through that conversation to the truth of who Jesus is, moves from referring to him as sir, like we see in verse 11, to, oh, maybe you're a prophet. We see that show up in verse 19. Uh, Later on, Jesus actually confides in her, saying, actually, you know, the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for, that I am he, is what he says, you know, later on in verse 25 and 26. And then let's pick up the story in verse 27. 27, it says, just then his disciples returned. This is after they've gone into town to get lunch, you know what I mean? So they're back now, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, you know, just kind of funny side note, nowhere in the story does it tell us, you know, Jesus sat down at the well and he asked the woman for a drink when she came, Nowhere in the story does it tell us that he actually got the drink, you know? <laughs> and so in this moment, here she is, she's just sitting down a jug and taking off back to, t- you know, into town kind of thing. I'm like, oh, okay, well, who knows what happened? Maybe, maybe it was, it's just not recorded for us. But she runs into town, verse 29, come, she tells everyone, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, if, if, if you uh, underline in your Bible, this is worth underlining. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like, did Uber Eats show up while we were away? You know, like, how did that happen? My food, he says in verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you ever saying it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I love that in the middle of this profound, sacred moment that where Jesus, the Messiah, has shown up and is having this incredible exchange with the woman at the well, in the midst of this sacred moment where God is literally meeting someone right where they need it. The disciples, they've come back and they're still thinking on a different plane, right? They're still thinking on a different level. They're still thinking about their stomachs and about Jesus' stomach. And they're like, Jesus, come on, eat something, have some food, you know? And, and, and look, this is natural. Uh, you know, we all kind of want to be hospitable, you know, and kind and care for people. Like, I get it, I get it, right? But in the midst of this profound sacred moment, his disciples are still thinking about lunch. And Jesus, when they ask him, hey, have something to eat, Jesus says, no, 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 I have food that you know not about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus promises. And I mean, this has been so huge for me because I can easily relate to the disciples that even in the midst of like busyness and life and feeling depleted, I can get so focused on King's stomach. I can get so focused on, well, let's just eat, you know, let's just kind of sort this. And, and no, Jesus says, no, there's another kind of food and one from which he draws life, one from which he is nourished and strengthened, one, one that sustains him when he's feeling tired from the journey, right? His food is to do the will of the Father who sent him and to finish his work, the Father's work, right? This is, this is what Jesus is saying. That's the kind of food that Jesus speaks of, that actually doing the will of God nourishes, feeds, sustains and strengthens us. And you go, well, you, it does for Jesus, you know. And you go, what is, the, what is the will and work of the Father? Well, that's that weird little verse that I kind of read on the end there in verse 35. You see that? What is the will and work of the Father? Jesus says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Well, if they open their eyes and they look out at the fields surrounding the well in Sychar, what are they going to see? They're going to see a Samaritan woman with a dust cloud behind her as she's racing back to the village. A village full of Samaritans. They're going to see the rest of Samaria kind of laid out around them, this, air, this, this people group and this area that they were previously would despise and avoid, and, and they're overlooking this town. And Jesus says, the work and the will of my Father is to bring the good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to embody God's love to everyone, 
to cross those cultural and socioeconomic, you know, divides, and to, to cross all of those, and to bring them. Now, remember, Jesus was tired. He was in a state of depletion. He sat down by the well because he was exhausted. We all feel tired. We all feel weary in this moment, right? We all have different experiences of that, where we're emotionally, physically, spiritually depleted. And I think what the Spirit of God might want to say to us this morning, church, is, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, because it is, is instead, in a moment of depletion and feeling withdrawn, like, like our tendency is to want to withdraw, isn't it? Is to pull back. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm totally gassed, I have nothing more to give. And our tendency is to want to pull back, to conserve, Right? To, 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 to withdraw. I get that. But what if we're missing out on another kind of food that we may not know of to know the voice of God, to be about His will and finishing His work, joining Him in His work? You might be thinking, well, hey, you know, that's all good for, you know, that, that, was, that was Jesus saying that, you know, that he was saying that, you know, but he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, you know, he's divine, you know, uh, so that's going to feed him and strengthen him, I'm, I'm not Jesus, I'm not divine, <laughs> you know, I just need a nap and a good feed, you know, um, the point that Jesus is making though, is not about himself, he's not just describing himself, the point he's making is that this isn't just for Jesus and about Jesus. This is actually for the disciples. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make, right? When He says, open your eyes, He wants them to discover the same source of food and nourishment and strength and sustenance that He was feeding on. He wants that for His followers. He wants that for His disciples. He wants them to have the same kind of experience that He was speaking of and, and sharing out of. Check out how the story ends. If you skip down to verse 39, it tells us that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard from ourselves, for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Talk about transformation, right? I mean, this is remarkable, you know, lip and turn of events and Jesus, but get, get the details, check the details, Jesus stays in their village for two more days. He hangs around in their village for two more days and the results are pretty remarkable, right? Huge. Many from that village came to recognize Jesus not just as sir or rabbi or prophet or, you know, but as the Son of God. That's, that's remarkable transformation, right? But not just, it wasn't just Jesus who stayed on two more days, was it? Think about it. His disciples would have stayed on two more days with Him in that village. Imagine how awkward that was. These were people they previously despised and would go out of their way to avoid. And there, Jesus, Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He says, no, 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 stay here. Open your eyes. The harvest field is ripe. Stay here. And so they literally doing life with these people, living in their homes, 
sharing meals across tables. Imagine how awkward they'd feel. Pretty uncomfortable. But Jesus wants them to discover this food that they know not of. You see it? And so he leaves them in the awkwardness for a moment and in the difficulty, even though they too were probably feeling tired from the journey, weary, you know, weary from the journey. He leaves them in that. And what would they be talking about over those meals as they sit at table with the Samaritans? I can guarantee you they would have been talking about Jesus, the one they've been traveling with. I can guarantee you they'd be talking about their own experiences of the miracles they've, they've observed, their own experiences of feeling healed and made whole, their own experiences of recognizing truth, not just as some abstract form of knowledge, but truth incarnated in moments and circumstances and situations, truth embodied in the person of Jesus himself. They would have been sharing story after story, and you should have seen when we went to this place, and Jesus did this, and you should have seen, you know, and, and can you, you can imagine it, right, around the table. That's what the conversation, no doubt that's what the conversations would have been about, right? Surely they would have been like living into these over and over and over again. Friends, that's the stuff of discipleship. Spiritual conversations like that is the stuff of discipleship. And I wonder if, as we head into the fast, if God might be inviting each one of us, yes, I know the tendency is to withdraw and pull back. But remember, our spiritual formation isn't just for our own blessing and benefit, but it's for the sake of others. And, if, and, I, and over the next three months, I just want to say, friends, let's have open eyes to the harvest field that's all around us. Because the truth is, God has you in harvest fields that I could never show up in. He's placed you in people's lives where you can sit across the table and talk about the goodness of God. Talk about this Jesus you know and what a difference He's made in your life, that you can share the gospel in personal ways. And, and I think there's going to be opportunities this week where you'll discover the nourishment and sustaining strength of this food we know not of, as we enter into those kinds of conversations. You know what I'm talking about? That, that actually we'll discover there's a, there's, there's a different kind of food here on offer, and it's what our souls need most. So let's not be withdrawn and shut down and closed down as we fast. Is that okay? Let's have our eyes opened and our ears opened to the, whatever the Spirit of God might want to say and whatever God might want to do in and around us. Let's be about doing the will of His Father and finishing in His work. And look, I get this is totally counterintuitive, but it's not supposed to feel like work. It's not supposed to feel like a burden, right? Because Jesus says, no, this is, this is your food. This is where you'll find life and refreshment. In fact, just this past week, I was catching up with Luke for lunch, and, um, and it was good lunch, food was good, but um, the conversation was so much better and Luke described, he said, you know, I was, uh, you know, we were just catching up, we hadn't seen each other in a long time and catching up, and he was sharing out of his own life and out of his own journey, this feeling of depletion. And he, I think you, you might have even used the word apathy, that over, over, over a while, he'd felt like he was just depleted, he was tired, he was run down, but the best thing that has happened in his life, the highlight of his year to date, for 2022, the highlight of his year to date, was helping run Alpha and showing up week after week after week, sitting around tables, 
having spiritual conversations with people who are trying to understand who is this person you call Jesus? What is the gospel? What, what difference does it make in our lives? And like Luke's demeanor shifted as he was telling this story. Like he, his eyes lit up, he just kind of came alive and I was like, there it is. That's, that's the food that we know not of. That's the nourishing and strength of, of God, right? That we, that we often will miss. And I was like, that's, Luke, you've just embodied exactly what I'm talking about on Sunday. So I share this with his permission, by the way, you know, um, the, the, you know, I share this with his permission because that's exactly what we want to be about. That as we embody God's love, as we share the gospel, as we enter into spiritual conversations, yes, even in Ototahi, yes, even in secular old New Zealand today, there are people who are spiritually hungry and seeking for the good news of Jesus Christ. There, there are. And you know some. And God has placed you there with an opportunity, I think. And so, friends, over these next few weeks, I kind of leave us with a question, like, who, what, what are we really hungry for? Is our hunger truly for God? Then let's not be closed to the ways that He might want to nourish us and strengthen us and bring life back into our souls and spirits. I think there's opportunity as we share the gospel, enter into spiritual conversations, as we enter into discipling conversations with those that you're discipling. Who are you discipling and encouraging in their own walk with Jesus to become more mature? Like Jesus and those disciples, maybe there's an opportunity to support people in the awkwardness for a few couple of days or three weeks of uh, fasting, right, as we're discipling, you know, uh, that we'd be about that. But I've found fasting reveals the thing that we're most hungry for so quickly, so quickly. Um, and, and for me, I go into this week just saying, Lord, bring an increased hunger for you, for your presence in our lives, for your power breaking out in conversations, surprising us, strengthening us for your voice more than anything, that we would know the voice of God, that we would enjoy His presence, and for us individually and for us as a church. And so I thought there'd be no better way for us to end this teaching series and begin the fast than to celebrate communion together. As a way of kind of marking this moment, we wanted to, you know, literally put into practice, let's, let's um, feed our souls through this sacrament of Holy Communion. Uh, and so, as a way of marking the moment, we, we'll receive communion. Um, but there's also an opportunity here today if you'd like to receive prayer and ministry, and you just want to kind of consecrate yourself at the start of the fast, you know, there's an opportunity. You can just kneel at the front here if you want to just come and pray on your own. Um, come, and, come and do so. If you'd like to receive prayer, uh, have someone pray over you and with you, come to either of the sides up the front here, and someone will, will pray with you there. And everyone else is welcome to come and, and receive communion this morning. But let's be reminded that on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. And He says, this bread represents my body, which is given for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the, after the meal, He took the cup and He says, this cup represents my blood, which was shed for all. Drink this in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread 
and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.